Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Quality people, welcome to episode number 50 of the Healthcare Quality Cast, powered by the Quality Coaching Company. I am your host, Jarvis Gray, and I'd love to take a moment for a quick rewind and state that this is episode number 50 of our show, as in the big five zero. As we launch through another milestone episode, I'm excited to introduce to you all one of the most impressive young professionals within my personal network of healthcare quality people. My guest, Tim Lee, is an energetic, creative, innovative healthcare leader who leverages his analytical and project leadership skills to transform organizations and support their goals to deliver better health outcomes and experiences. Tim comes to us with a background in biochemistry, as well as public health and healthcare administration, and currently works for a large managed care company focusing on project management and strategy. Here in episode number 50, Tim opens our show with a great leadership quote centered around partnerships and longevity. Tim walks us through his career path going from biochemistry and public health into the world of healthcare strategy, innovation, and analytics. Tim shares with us a very reflective dark moment connected with the people side of lean and quality improvement, He highlights an impressive aha moment centering on executive presentations and using data to tell a story. He shares why he is personally excited about the chaos and disruption going on across the healthcare industry and why it will result in a more patient-centered industry. Tim does the impossible and walks us through the mindset of a millennial and specifically what they are looking for from today's healthcare organization And Tim gives a great shout out to Mama and Papa Lee for the best career advice that he's ever received. Tim, thank you so much for your friendship and always being open to educating me and now my audience of quality people on your point of view around healthcare quality, strategy, and analytics. Man, I am so excited for you and all the possibilities for you as you charge ahead in your career. Quality people, I hope that you enjoy today's conversation with Tim. Be sure that you're connected with us on our LinkedIn group page. You can find us by simply searching for the Healthcare Quality Cast in LinkedIn. Thank you all for supporting the first 50 episodes, everyone. And we will be back next week with episode number 51 and another quality guest. All right, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Tim Lee. Tim, are you ready to share with some quality people? Yeah, of course. All right, perfect. Well, Tim, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could please share your favorite leadership quote or mindset, but also tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? So my favorite leadership quote is actually from an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far go together and for me i think that really explains a lot of how we operate in society today just in terms of uh, we want everything on demand we want it now we want uh to build you know the next big startup we want to build uh the next big thing we want to make a million dollars we want to do all these things and uh personally for me uh that type of stuff i think we should be aspiring for that but also realizing that in order to do that, you need to partner with people. You need to take time. You need to sacrifice things. And especially in healthcare, if you think about where we are today, uh, you need to be able to partner with the executives. You need to be able to partner with the healthcare providers, the nurses, the admins. Everyone needs to partner together in order to get things done. And that's how I think of it. And that quote really helps me every single day to just get me in the right mindset. Well, I love that. And I, I love it in the spirit of collaboration. And, you know, Tim, for the, I don't know what, two or three years now that I've known you, 
I can honestly say you are the king of collaboration, man. Everything that I've experienced and encountered with you has been, you know, you've always been so gracious just to try to connect the dots between so many different groups. So I could personally see where that quote applies in your world. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, absolutely. Well, Tim, I, I always love to start the show with simply just saying thank you to all my guests, but I appreciate you jumping on. Um, again, I was just as I was just highlighting is that we've had something of a connection for a couple of years now, and I, I'm just in this position where I'm getting to watch you um, spread your wings and, and move forward in your healthcare career. But um, Tim, I would love if you could share with our quality people um, just a really high-level description of the work that you're into. Um, share with us definitely your professional background and really what got you into this healthcare career path. Yeah, so uh, some of the stuff that I do right now is all primarily related towards either project management, uh, strategy, and data analytics. So uh, it's kind of hard to believe, but my background was really not in any of that. Uh, so I got my bachelor's of science in biochemistry. And then afterwards I went on to get my uh, master's of public health and healthcare policy and management. But uh, I was kind of intentional uh, while I was doing all of that to kind of gain some data skills just in a background because I knew it was somewhat important. Uh, and then also, I intentionally picked uh, public health and also biochemistry because I always knew that I wanted to work in healthcare. I think healthcare is that one very unique industry where it's very easy for you to kind of, um, you know, have an impact on individuals and you get to interact with them every single day and you get to see, wow, this is what I'm doing and this is how it changes people's lives. It helps heal people, it helps treat illnesses, it helps, you know, put smiles on patients' faces. And I think that was really uh, the big word that really uh, led me into this career path of wanting to be in healthcare, but also focusing a lot on the data and strategy and project management piece. All right. And Tim, you know, one of the uh, things that I'm excited about having you on with is just simply because, you know, to me personally, you represent the future of healthcare leadership, just again, with uh, the level that you're at, the, the age that you're at in terms of your career path, um, just would love to get some thoughts from you, you know, big picture, what's the game plan? Where do you see your career going or, you know, any intentional ways you may want to drive it as you continue to grow as a, a young, talented, um, but growing and budding healthcare superstar? <laughs> I appreciate that a lot. Um, I think really the next step for me is just to kind of understand more of the whole entire healthcare ecosystem. Just primarily because when we talk about healthcare these days, uh, you know, if, if you work on the uh, provider side, healthcare means hospital. Uh, maybe if you work on the payer side, it means health insurance. Maybe if you work on uh, the pharmaceutical side, you would say it's a pharmacy. And I think there's a very uh, big gap uh, in between just connecting the dots of all of these different sub-industries together. And I really think if we can really understand the care transition model in terms of how does patient get affected, not only from the hospital and the insurance side, but also uh, medical devices and pharmaceuticals, uh, and then even some of these big tech companies, I think that's the key. And that's kind of where I'm envisioning my future is in a role where I'm able to understand all of that, or at least have a team around me where uh, we can do things where we can connect the dots between uh, these different industries and then try to create a um, clear, transparent path of knowledge where patients can understand where they're getting their care, how much does their care cost, and what type of care works best for them. Uh, and so, but in terms of roles, I'm not really entirely sure of what would be the exact role for that next, but I know that what I do right now and what I've previously done and what I'll do in the future will all kind of align towards that purpose of making healthcare, um, you know, not only more accessible to individuals, but hopefully cheaper and also improving healthcare outcomes. 
Well, perfect. Well, it goes without saying that I think those opportunities are going to be around for a while. So um, glad to have you in the industry, um, just taking up the mantle of another exceptional quality person and um, just being in this battle along with myself and so many other great leaders that are out there pushing. So um, Tim, want to move to the next question. And uh, with all of my guests, I've definitely um, started calling this the dark place question, but Tim, I would love for you to share with our quality people perhaps a, a moment in your healthcare career that you would consider kind of that that worst moment. Um, help us understand what the moment was. You know, share with us the story, the background, and definitely the the thought processes and some of the decisions you were going through to try to turn that moment around. Yeah. So, actually, what was probably so to give you some context. Um, I was doing a quality process improvement project with uh, this nurse manager. Uh, and so let's just call this nurse manager, Cindy. Uh, so Cindy and I, uh, you know, we met initially and what we were tasked to focus on was finding something that was related towards uh, nursing. And so we ended up choosing uh, a metric that was trying to target nurse response rates to understand how quickly do nurses actually respond to a patient's call and then uh, how quickly do patients get their treatment or get a appointment after that? And so we started on this uh, quality process improvement uh, initiative in her clinic, and it was really a lot of fun. We uh, were, you know, going through uh, all the different, uh, you know, methodologies. We're also, you know, doing a P chart. Uh, we're also, you know, getting data every week. Uh, you know, tracking our interventions. Okay, maybe this works. Maybe that doesn't work. All right, let's hold on. And, you know, it was phenomenal. It was so much fun. Uh, and we were just, you know, just so excited about it. But then the dark moment happened literally about maybe a week right before um, our initiative ends. So Cindy comes in and says, Tim, uh, so after this project ends, I'm actually uh, leaving this place. Uh, I'm actually moving to another health system. And I just feel completely uh, burned out from what I've been doing uh, ever since I've gotten here. And to me, that really broke my heart. And then also, to be quite honest, I felt really embarrassed because one of the things about Lean and Six Sigma that we always talk about is the people, the relationships, um, getting to know the people that you're working with. How do they feel? How do they think? And honestly, for me, I was just very embarrassed because I feel like that is rule number one and I completely looked um, over that. I didn't really get a chance to um, talk to the nurse manager and specifically ask her how is she feeling every day and though she was having a lot of fun uh, doing this project with me and was very interested, um, I was not able to uh, clearly identify and see that she was struggling with some other things that maybe we could have tried to have addressed earlier or I could have brought it up to senior management, or we could have even maybe even changed the scope of our project to do uh, something more around maybe nurse turnover rates or, uh, you know, things like that. And so for me, kind of looking back at it, um, I would just always say, you know, uh, that would probably be the one moment that if I could change it, I would definitely uh, want to redo that just because it made me realize a lot that um, you know, we can go through these processes, we can go through the charts, the data, um, we can do all these cool initiatives, but at the end of the day, if you don't have all of the stakeholders um, there to kind of be with you, especially if one of the stakeholders is leaving, then the whole entire process of what you did um, might not be as impactful as you initially thought it would be. And sadly, in this um, situation, the nurse also left. And uh, for me, that's something that I actually kind of think about uh, probably regularly in my job. It's just, you know, trying to understand how are people feeling? Uh, how do I connect with them? How do we collaborate? How do we get along with each other? Um, are they feeling all right? Um, or are they not feeling so all right? Those type of questions are things I ask now because, um, again, I just feel it was a little bit, you know, disheartening to hear that one of my nurses that I was working with uh, would feel that way. Well, in all fairness, 
uh, I definitely want to make sure you don't beat yourself up. You know, if she had other personal things going on, um, those are just tough moments that anybody would miss. So um, that's one part of it. But, you know, to your point about the lean mindset with being, um, you know, lean philosophies being respect for people, respect for the process and all of the above. Um, again, I, I think you're doing the right thing now that you're cognizant of it and applying it to the work you're doing now. So um, I, I would love to maybe add on to that question, Tim, and just ask if you mm -hmm. um, could go back and talk to that nurse now. Any thoughts or any reflections that you would share with her? Um, again, assuming it's more work-based, again, I, I don't know her situation, but you know, if the, the personal side, we obviously can't truly manage, but anything from a professional point of view that you would reconnect with her on? Yeah, so I would probably have just kind of initially, once we started with the project, I would have probably mentioned to her that, hey, you know, this project that we're working on, uh, it doesn't have to be primarily on nurse response rates. It could be on anything within the clinic that uh, you think that could be a potential barrier for why nurses would not necessarily want to work here or do not feel like uh, it would be a good place to work. Um, I think when I was doing this project initially with her, uh, I was maybe a little bit uh, self-centered in terms of uh, really wanting to focus on nurse response rates because that was uh, the big, big area that I felt there was a need for. And so if I could go back in time, I would definitely uh, ask that and try to see if I could get a little bit more information from her in terms of if uh, she thinks uh, nurse response rates would have been the right uh, metric or if she wanted to focus something else on uh, turnover rate or something like that. but. Yeah, to your point, Jarvis, I mean, uh, you know, some of that is personal stuff, some of that uh, is work stuff, and, you know, it's always hard to kind of, uh, you know, decipher or discern the difference between the two, um, but, you know, for me, I would say, you know, I'm I'm okay with what happened, I think she's okay with it, too, we still talk occasionally and stuff like that, so uh, even though it's not the best moment uh, that I've had as a healthcare leader, I still think that was a really great uh, learning experience for me to just kind of understand um, that, you know, it's not always just about, uh, you know, the process and the data, but it's a combination of those two with the people that you work with. Well, and, and in all fairness to, um, to your closing thought there, Tim, I'm just glad you learned that at this stage of your career, because again, um, you know, I, I see you as just one of those like high caliber, high potential um, future leaders, but the most important resource that we have are going to be our people. So if you're already hitting that lesson now, you're, you're, you know, heading in a good direction. So uh, let me move us out of that question then. And uh, let's, let's pick up the pace a little bit with some more uh, productive questions that I have for you, Tim. Um, yeah. I would love yeah. for you to share with our quality people, a tip tool or tactic that you found works really well for building up intimate connections on project teams, but uh, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? So this one is actually very, very simple. Uh, and it's just really listen more. Uh, that's, that's really the tip that I would just offer to you a lot of people is just listen more. Uh, the reason why is because, you know, when you listen more, you begin to talk less. And when you talk less, you begin to ask more open questions. And once you start asking more open questions, you're able to kind of understand the viewpoint of where others are coming from. And then you're able to kind of identify with them. And then at the same time, your ego begins to be suspended. Uh, your mind begins to quiet and you quickly begin to understand, uh, you know, the human condition of where the other individual is at the moment and how and where you can meet them. So for me, how do I apply that? It's just it, you know, it's easier said than done, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I feel as I get older, uh, it's a little bit more <laughs> difficult for me to uh, listen. Uh, but, you know, really, it's as simple as just uh, trying your best to just, whenever uh, you're in a meeting and uh, people are talking, uh, to really first just listen, really truly try to listen to what they're trying to say, and then analyze that and try to quickly reflect and think on now, why would they say that? Uh, and that's where a lot of the uh, asking questions uh, come from is because that kind of spurs your mind to begin thinking a little bit more about uh, what is the situation and how can I target my 
message to cater towards uh, that individual. And so it's just very, uh, I guess, uh, not too difficult, nothing too complicated, but definitely it's hard to apply. Well, Tim, for me, um, my grandmother used to tell us growing up that you had two ears and one mouth, right? And that was her way of saying that as kids, we should always, um, you know, be tuned into listening. So uh, I think your point is there, though, is it's easier said than done. I think uh, from my observations to your point is in a lot of meetings we do sit in with, again, other very talented, exceptional leaders, everybody's almost always clamoring to either get their points made or, um, you know, to, to be her with whatever point of view they're right. trying. And, and it almost, you know, is pretty common. We're just in meetings trying to be heard um, by each other's, but like it's a room full of people not listening. So um, I, I've shared right. those observations and I, I agree with that. I think listening is one of the most powerful um, tools and tactics that we can employ. So I appreciate you throwing that one out there. Yeah, of course. So next question I have for you, Tim, could you share with us perhaps one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare professional? Uh, but again, really take us through that moment. Uh, share with us when did the idea strike you and if you were able to turn it into a professional or a personal success? Yeah. So the big idea, I guess I'll start with uh, what the big idea is, uh, and that is primarily presenting data as a storyline. Uh, so how I got this idea was, you know, and probably same thing with you, Jarvis, and I, I would assume with most of the audience who's listening to this right now, uh, we've all been in those meetings where uh, someone will put up a large PowerPoint presentation and it would have, uh, you know, anywhere from like 100 to 300 words on uh, that one slide, and then the next slide would have another 300 words, and uh, the presenter would just be reading word by word of the whole entire uh, PowerPoint slide. And, uh, you know, after maybe a couple minutes or so, people start to get, uh, you know, uh, glazed eyes and starts to wander uh, around and just kind of think of other stuff. And that was something that I initially uh, noticed, uh, you know, just doing some presentations and viewing other people doing presentations, which was, uh, you know, there's just too much information on the screen and how do people really understand it and interpret it and so what I initially did was you know what I'll try to cut down uh, the total number of words on the screen for my presentation and it kind of worked but I still noticed that there was a lot of people that uh, would get lost in my presentation after five or six minutes or at the very end they would ask me a question uh, which I've already answered in the second or third uh, slide in my deck and I knew that was definitely uh, an issue and a little bit frustrating because uh, to me, that meant that people weren't really understanding my ideas and my thoughts and how was I communicating. Uh, but then the question came up, so how do you make this better? How do you uh, make this more interpretable and for people to understand it? So I was thinking about this and uh, ironically enough, um, for any of y'all who, uh, have ever you know gone to church or are a churchgoer? Uh, you probably know that you know after the music ends and the pastor comes up to the stage and uh, prays. What does the pastor usually do? Well, he usually uh, cracks a joke, right? Says something like, "Oh, like this weekend uh, I went to like the grocery store and I got some fish and eggs, and then I uh, saw somebody that I haven't saw in years." And then you know he'll talk about um, what happened this week to just kind of get a, like a laugh. From the congregation and then immediately he'll dive into the sermon so why does he do that well mainly because he's trying to you know get the attention of the congregation to listen to the sermon and for me that was my aha moment of that's what i have to do i need to somehow make um the presentations i do especially data because um, a lot of times data can be very scary data can be uh very hard to interpret uh, and data can just be just a lot to just handle at the moment. So when you're giving presentations to executives, when you're trying to get people to um, do a certain action or to think in a certain way, how do you keep them engaged throughout the whole entire presentation? And that's where I realized, oh, well, I need to tell it like a story. I need to add into 
um, my presentations a little bit about, uh, you know, some stuff that are happening. How does this impact your life or how does this impact the organization right now and things like that. Uh, and so I'll give you a really uh, funny example um, of how I've implemented this. And uh, I kind of got lucky in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, implementing it because it was a little bit risky, but um, I figured I would just do it because I felt very um, convicted at that point in time. So this would probably be about um, maybe a couple weeks after um, I joined an organization and uh, I had to present to the executive board. And right around the same time, uh, this was when Georgia was playing uh, Alabama in the um, national championship game. And if you remember Jarvis, um, and I'm sure probably most of uh, your audience will remember, remember this too, uh, Alabama scored the game-winning uh, touchdown uh, in overtime. Uh, and so knowing that and also knowing that a lot of the executives that I was working with at the time uh, were really huge college football fans, I figured, well, you know, what I'm going to do with my presentation is I'm going to incorporate some of that football lingo into the presentation. And so uh, while I'm going through the presentation, slide one, slide two, slide three, uh, in the middle of it, um, I essentially uh, told them, all right, so this is how we're doing so far this year. And it's really great. Uh, but this is only halftime right now. Uh, and then I said, uh, but, you know, uh, we want to make sure that we continue doing this because we don't want to end up like uh, this. And the next slide was actually a quick clip of Alabama throwing the game-winning touchdown. And uh, I kid you not, but everyone in that room, all the executives started laughing and bawling and teasing and stuff. It was probably one of the best sites I've ever seen just because everyone was super, super engaged. And uh, in a funny way, uh, after that presentation, uh, people still came up to me and said, you know, that was the best presentation I've ever seen on that metric or on that data. And uh, that definitely uh, makes me feel more uh, compelled to kind of do something about it. And then I had another executive that came up to me and said, oh, that makes sense. I, I now understand what this data means and I understand how we can do this. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just being able to tell a funny story or just create some type of storyline that goes with your presentation or with your data goes a really uh, long way in terms of communicating your idea and making sure people are all on the same page. Well, Tim, the, uh, the first real big takeaway that I got there is that football is life. So no matter <laughs> what the situation, you throw a good football reference in it and it gets better. So, <laughs> but uh, nah, right. you know, I, I think you're spot on with, uh, with your example there. So Seriously, I, I got the takeaway for many of our quality people. I have to imagine that most all of us are going to be doing very dry presentations related to data, related to mm -hmm. processes. Um, sometimes we are the bearer of bad news because we're telling leaders how bad their organization is or how bad certain departments may be. Um, so right. your your point about connecting it and making it relatable and you know things that people truly care about in their non-business lives uh, I'm, I think is one exceptional aha moment because um, at the end of the day we're all people right we have normal mm -hmm. people needs and interests and so just to be able to connect it with um, football given you know this is the south where where football truly is life um, that was you know just genius um, Tim, just because I know of, you know, some of um, our shared entrepreneurial mindsets, I, I'll have to share this with you. Mm -hmm. But um, so for me with my business through the quality coaching company, and even with the work that I'm doing here with the podcast, I'm trying to um, become a smarter marketer. And a recent formula that I just learned through some of the marketing channels that I'm plugging into now is essentially mm -hmm. um, hook, story, call to action, hook, story, call to action. And so uh, I'm, you know, picking this lingo up and starting yeah. to think like that more just with the, the, the work that I'm doing through my own business. But to your point, that's something I've actually started applying into the presentations that I do as well. And it's everything that you just said, right? It's figure out the hook. How do you snag them? How do you tell a story with the information? So it's not just, you know, here's your data, love it, leave it by. Right. It's 
tell the story, help, you know, bring them in, tie it to some of the emotions. Right. You know, I, I love the presentations um, that I've done and that I've seen other people do where they've connected the data and turned the data into patients. You know, this is the mm -hmm. number of patients or this is the impact of this new process. These patients get to ho go home you know, earlier sit at home, you know, longer, and then they show a beautiful patient, you know, picture of a patient with their family or whatever. So um, hook, story, call to action. What do you need these executives to do? And, you know, right. if it's getting their support, getting some additional resources, whatever the case may be, but hook, story, call to action. Um, I'm using it in my marketing mindset, but I've actually been using it in my executive presentations as well, and it still rolls pretty well. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just another caveat to that, um, you know, you know, we, we talk a lot about data and I'm sure, you know, most of your uh, quality people also talk a lot about data. Uh, and I, I was just kind of caution that a little bit in terms of, yes, the data is important and the data is what drives the decisions. But in order to get to that point in time, uh, you first need, like you were talking about that, that hook, uh, you really need to kind of get people to kind of understand that the data is not something that's scary. Uh, the data is not trying to personally blame anybody or uh, punish anybody. It's just there to just, uh, you know, be interpreted as the way it is. And so I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we get so focused on the data, the data, the data, the data that we kind of forget that we need to be able to, uh, you know, gift wrap that data in a way that is digestible for people who might not necessarily be as data savvy or who might not necessarily uh, need to know all that information about how did you pull the data, what are the assumptions, where did you get the data, and things like that. No, wonderful. I, I think it just goes back to the, you know, I, I jokingly or kind of came up with the name quality people, but it's the emphasis on the people part, right? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, wonderful. Tim, I, I loved everything that you shared. Um, through that question, the aha question, um, but we'll love to move you to the next question. And I'm just so interested to see where you're going to go with this, but uh, Tim, what are some of the current changes going on across the healthcare industry that you're personally excited about right now? And what role do you see quality professionals and definitely um, at, let's go ahead and add in data professionals playing to promote and support its longevity? So, well, I was also first say that I think, data people are going to be uh, quality people or quality people are data people because uh, at the end of the day, um, I would say both individuals or both professions are trying to make a change and they're trying to persuade people uh, to do something. And even though, uh, you know, Jarvis, sometimes maybe people would kind of perceive me uh, as, as being more of a data person, I would kind of actually uh, suggest that, you know, no, maybe I'm actually more of a quality person because, you know, the data, data is data, but uh, if you don't know how to use it or what's the meaning behind it, there's not uh, much to it. Um, but with that being said, I would say that uh, current changes, I would say what I'm really interested in and what I think I'm really excited about is just the mass amount of chaos and destruction that is happening within healthcare right now. Now, I know that uh, that sounds a little bit strange that I'll be so excited about how chaotic and how much disruption there is, but I think that's the beauty of it because now we're starting to move more towards a true uh, consumer-focused or patient-centered um, outcomes and initiatives. And with more uh, patients and consumers now wanting to uh, own their own health, to own their own data, to really understand uh, is this treatment or is this cost the best uh, option for me? I think that actually opens up the door for um, a lot more data, uh, just in terms of uh, the way that we measure stuff. And with the way that we measure stuff means that we also get to create brand new metrics that can be uh, better representative of what a certain patient is going through or what a certain process is like. And I think that's where the quality professionals come into places because, you know, you guys come up with uh, the metrics and those metrics really guide you in terms of uh, health outcomes, in terms of readmissions, in terms of finances. It guides a lot of the stories and a lot of the things that uh, we do within healthcare. 
And I think that's just the beauty of it, which is just, um, you know, more data means more ways for us to interpret it, more metrics for it. So for example, um, hand hygiene. Hand hygiene is one of those things where, uh, you know, in the literature as of right now, most hand hygiene initiatives are primarily, uh, you know, you do like a secret shopper and you essentially have the individual come and just watch uh, and see how many times duty nurses or providers uh, or LPNs or et cetera, just, uh, you know, uh, just wash their hands when they go in and out of a room. Um, so uh, there's nothing wrong with that metric or wrong with that way of uh, recording data, but with, you know, disruption and chaos and with all these new high-tech companies coming in. Now imagine using sensors that are on the hand hygiene machines instead. Now just imagine how, mo how much more accurate that would be, um, how much uh, more time we can save in terms of not having a uh, secret shopper that comes in all the time, but instead uh, you have a sensor that can accurately record those numbers and then someone uh, like you or some quality people can go in and just look at that data automatically and generate new results and insights and things that we were not able to uh, look at five or ten years ago. And to me, that's the most exciting part is just being able to now get more accurate data so that we can drive for better results for the patient. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to all you know improve patient outcomes. And I don't think there's any better way right now than uh, really some of these new things that are soon to be coming out into healthcare. All right. So, Tim, I am fin to just take us down a whirlwind of thoughts. Um, the first is actually <laughs> going to be around, um, I don't know if you ever get a chance, but one of my past shows is with um, a guest named Dr. Berkeley Baker. Um, him and his company, they actually do exactly what you just shared in your example around hand hygiene. Um, they build monitors mm -hmm. and sensors into the hand hygiene devices that gives us an incredible amount of data to really measure our monitor compliance around. But um, I would love to get your thoughts on this, Tim, as a data professional. And I love your points, too. I agree. Data professionals and quality professionals, we are, we are going to be attached to the hip for, for forever <laughs> to come. But one of my big observations and, you know, back when I was in a previous role as a director of analytics, um, I learned pretty quickly, you know, everything's so heavily connected with this world of big analytics, um, big data and mm -hmm. all of these other, you know, big catchphrases that are out there. Um, but then I was working with staff within the facility that struggled with turning on Excel. So it really brought me back to reality as a professional, as a quality professional, and as, as a, you know, aspiring data professional. That, I, I thought that was going to be the role that, like, pushes me down the path to becoming a data scientist. But uh, what I really learned is that before we can get into all of the big data topics, we still struggle with the small data, the basic data. Um, I, I just did a workshop this past week where I had groups um, developing Pareto charts by hand. And they said that was the best thing they had ever done. And they were kind of nervous, you know, with the mindset of eventually taking it to Excel or, you know, purchasing statistics mm. software. Um, so, so, Tim, I guess a lot of that is just to, to get your thoughts, you know, kind of before we even go into like the amazing possibilities that data has. What do we do about mm -hmm. some of these small data needs, the basics around reporting, analytics, measuring, you know, leading and lagging measures appropriately just to get the basics. Any, any, any thoughts, recommendations, feelings, whatever? <laughs> yeah. Um, to be quite honest, it's not really a really uh, fabulous answer for that. I think it's really as simple. Well, it's not simple, but, you know, it really boils down to uh, getting people comfortable with using the computer, uh, learning that, uh, you know, folks need to kind of upskill their work and be able to start using Excel, even if it's just for um, something very simple, like, uh, you know, two or three rows of data, or potentially even having some of those sensors that you're mentioning about um, automating it in terms of just having that data spit out a P-chart for you on Excel so that um, staff doesn't even need to play with Excel. They just get a printout of um, the charts or of the Pareto chart or, you know, whatever uh, they would like. I would say that would kind of be 
my first step, either that or primarily just trying to get people comfortable with just trying to use the tool because to your point, Jarvis, um, you know, big data is scary and big data takes a lot of time. Uh, and that's why there's, you know, tons of people who are data scientists who work on uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, all these really big fancy stuff. Um, but the small data too is actually really important. I think, uh, you know, just being able to have a good appreciation of that and a willingness to kind of motivate your staff to just uh, take a stab at it and then see if there's any other product solutions out there where you can potentially maybe have um, the sensors automate some of those reports or, or numbers so that uh, your staff can just look at it without actually doing any of the Excel. I think those are some of the um, quicker or easier wins just in terms of uh, getting them involved in data. Um, because, you know, as, as you can see too, uh, the future is really, a lot of it has to do with data. And if you don't necessarily know how to work with data, even if it's just small data, then you're really at a big disadvantage. And so that's where I think that's another really big opportunity uh, for, you know, quality professionals and how they could promote this and support the longevity is just because um, all of the decisions that uh, we make, you know, has to be data driven. Um, executives ask, where's the data coming from? What assumptions are you making? So uh, that would kind of just be my suggestion or my opinion in terms of how to uh, get people started with Excel and some of the smaller data needs. No, that's fair. I, I love the response to such an impossible question, but yeah, that was, you know, that was my experience for um, a couple of years back in that past position, just trying to, mm -hmm. you know, really bring um, sophistication to some of the ways that we were doing a lot of the reports back then and, you know, just getting people, you know, moving forward on the basics just it was one of those daily struggles so um i appreciate all your thoughts on it but I, I know you could appreciate you know both sides of uh both sides of the coin on that one right. so uh perfect right. tim uh next question i have for you man is what are some things that you feel the healthcare industry can do to become a more attractive place for ambitious talented quality professionals to either start and most definitely grow their careers you mean for millennials, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This this one is right. What is it that you need from the healthcare industry? <laughs> oh boy. I mean, I I would say probably the worst possible thing that you can probably do is to have a millennial answer on the behalf of all millennials. But uh, I'll uh, I'll definitely uh, try to answer this. Um, so. I would say, well, before even that, I would, I would want to just say that uh, healthcare is you know, truly unique. And that's kind of what I was trying to um, portray earlier with uh, that quote that I was telling you about where if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's really unique because healthcare is one of those industries where you really go into it because you want to have an impact and you really want to feel as if you have a purpose in life and you're doing something for a greater good. And I think that is a uh, area that we can definitely try to push more and market more towards millennials because uh, for people of our age or my age, um, we really, you know, we, we do care about salary. We do care about, um, you know, uh, things of that nature, but what attracts us really to um, work and why we want to work is really because of the ideas of making an impact every day and having a purpose. And I think healthcare has that right there and it's so attractive, but we just don't always market that to millennials. And millennials always uh, believe that, well, if I'm not a doctor or a nurse, then I can't really make an impact or have a purpose in healthcare. Um, and so uh, I would say that's something that we have that we can definitely do today and that definitely we can make a difference. Um, but in terms of uh, more attractive, I'd say there's two other things that I think as an industry, we really need to work on for millennials. Um, the first one would be around career development. And the second one would be around work-life balance. So 
Um, historically speaking, uh, you know, when you go work for an employer, the employer is really uh, the person in charge and has the mentality of what are you going to do for the company. Uh, the way that millennials think of it, especially very talented, um, you know, quality professionals who are about to start their career is what do you, what can you do for me, the individual? How can I develop my skills so that I can get to where I want to be? And so that dichotomy and that conflict between how um, healthcare has historically thought of itself and how millennials are approaching it is a big area of um, opportunity that we can work on uh, because as you know uh, uh, there's like some statistic that said like about 60% of all um, millennial professionals who go into healthcare uh, turn over from their uh, job within three years and that's not surprising because uh, for a lot of millennials it's really they work in a job and then once they feel that they're not getting the experience or they're not learning or they're not developing their skills uh, they'll just hop to another job so that they can uh, get those skills uh, versus the health employer will usually argue, well, it's not about you, the individual. It's more about how you can advance the organization. How can you uh, do these things to benefit us? And so that dichotomy is something that we can definitely work on as a industry. Uh, and then the second one is really more related towards, like I said, uh, work-life balance. So just having some options of being able to work from home, uh, I know not necessarily everyone's on board with that, and I totally understand why. Uh, but for a lot of millennials, that's a really big area of concern is just, can I work from home once a week or maybe once a month? Uh, those type of things, we really care about that. Uh, and we really want to make sure that we have um, the ability to have fun, but also the ability to work hard. And I think a lot of times, uh, healthcare, we're kind of still stuck in that notion of if you're, unless if you're in the office from nine to five or eight to five the whole entire day, uh, you can't make any difference or uh, you can't really do anything. And I think a lot of millennials push back from that idea and would challenge that by saying that's not necessarily true if you could work from home. And so um, I'll say those two things I just mentioned. Uh, career development and work-life balance. I think if we can uh, work on those two things as an industry, I think we would be able to attract probably the best talent out there. I mean, yeah, there there are big tech companies and they do cool things, but I don't think there's anything cooler than saving patients' lives and making people feel better and seeing their faces when they say, um, thank you very much for helping me today. Uh, I think there's something about healthcare that makes it so magical, but also so purposeful, meaningful that um, I don't think, you know, you know uh, people will say, oh, it's not the place for me to be. I think a lot of people, when they first start looking at what they want to be, that's kind of the first place that they look at. It's just that some of these other um, benefits or these other um, options or alternatives don't really work out right now. Well, I appreciate both of the points, uh, Tim, because, you know, from the day-to-day -day conversations I have with other healthcare professionals and definitely other quality professionals, um, continuing education, career development is, I think, just a significant gap. Um, and I, so I think you're spot on with that one. Um, you know, I, I really had to even kind of check my own thinking around the second point you brought up, which is like the work from home option. Um, it, you know, I, so I grew up in as a quality professional here in healthcare. I was taught by folks, definitely mm -hmm. non-millennials, um, some, a lot of <laughs> old school folks. And, you know, it was um, the mindset that you come to work every day. But, you know, even when you think about the work we do as quality professionals, you know, they go into the Gimba is, a big part of what we yep. do, right? So you literally cannot work from home. Um, but then I yep. actually managed a team of millennials and working from home was already a part of the team's culture. You know, I had I had essentially adopted them. I came in as a new director into that department. Um, and, you know, it, I struggle with it personally 
to kind of keep the culture going. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it it really took me a while to kind of work up to it um, to, you know, one, trust that the teams were were working from home and being really productive, which they proved that without a doubt. But, you know, the other part was making sure they were still meeting the needs of our customers. And again, they they proved that pretty well. But I found it worked really good on days where, um, you know, they really were just going to be at their desk anyway, doing a lot of analytics or Mm -hmm. updating reports and, you know, the 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 non people, non Gimba types of days. um, It worked pretty well. So uh, I just shared that because I struggle with it. And I technically I fall into the millennial category. But just the the culture, the way that I was brought up, you know, to get to the point of my career that I'm at. And then I'm working with some true straight up millennials who are like, hey, Jarvis, yeah, we already have a, you know, work from home policy two days out the month. And I was just like, what? How do you work from home and, you know, and do all the things we have to do? So, um, you know, it's a different way of thinking. But I found, again, very productive. It, It forced me to trust the team, but, you know, they knocked it out of the park. They kept up with all their work. Um, and I don't know if they put in a eight hour workday or a four hour workday, but they were productive. They got the stuff done. And again, it made them happy. So that was, you know, to, to all the quality people who would listen to this part of the conversation, um, challenge yourself, man. It, it took me a while to kind of really get my hair wrapped around it, but it turned out to be a good move. So. Yeah. And I was just kind of, uh, after that, just with a little caveat, which is like you said, um, I think the important part is it's, it was already previously embedded in the team culture. Uh, that and also uh, the fact that you were saying uh, you found it best when you're talking about um, the days where they're doing analytics and they're not necessarily doing a Gimba. And of course, you know, there are definitely horror stories where you have the whole entire team uh, working from home and then uh, they're unproductive and things like that. And of course, you know, that's what, employers and managers and bosses and leaders are all afraid about is being taken advantage. So I definitely agree. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm actually, uh, you know, a little skeptical sometimes just about how much you can work from home. But I think what you're doing right now, which is asking those questions is exactly what you need to do and trying to figure out what is the balance between uh, working from home, you know, twice a month versus maybe once a month versus never. Um, so I think those are, re- you know, really good questions that I think not only you are, um, you know, trying to wrap around, but also people like me and then uh, other folks who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, the sad part is I've completely like voted myself off of the work from home island. Um, I straight up tell all of my colleagues, like, if I tell you I'm working from home, I'm doing something else. Like, I'm either not working or I'm just, you know, I need to get some personal stuff done. So, uh Perfect. Now, Tim, I'm loving everything that you're sharing so far. You are, um, you know, giving a lot of great value, but um, I want to move us into a part of the show that we call the two minute drills, kind of our rapid fire Q&A and uh, always Mm -hmm. do a quick post check to make sure my guests are ready to rock and roll with this one. Yeah, (laughs) I like the football reference. (laughs) Thank you, man. I'm glad you picked up on that. See, (laughs) I told you football is life, right? (laughs) So. Tim, first question I have for you, and I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off script, but I uh, would love mm-hmm. to ask, do you have a mentor that has helped to shape your career? Yeah, uh, actually, two people. Um, well, first off, of course, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, uh, embarrass you or anything, Jarvis, but I'll say you'd be one of the individuals that I uh, no. <laughs> first met, you know, two, three years ago. And uh, you definitely, I'll say maybe because, you know, we're both uh, connected to Miami and stuff like that. I'm not entirely sure, but um, you've just been a really great uh, person just to talk with uh, and just in terms of just giving advice and things like that. Um, and then I also have another uh, mentor right now. He uh, He's out in California, but uh, funny thing enough, he um, actually asked me a couple of days ago um, if I had any good uh, books that I'd like to read um, that he could give to me. And, I said, yeah, sure. Just uh, send it over to me. Here's my address. And I kid you not, uh, today I uh, got this huge, gigantic Amazon uh, cardboard box filled with, I think it was like five or six books in it. And I was, I was like, well, like, 
like, wow, like this person actually uh, really cares about me and cares about what I'm doing and is interested in it. Uh, and so I'd say, yeah, I mean, I would say you and that individual, the two of y'all have really been uh, really good to me, just kind of encouraging me and just making sure that, you know, uh, whenever I do have questions and stuff like that, that you guys can always be, uh, you know, a place that I can talk to you and I can ask and I can trust you guys. And so I would say definitely, if you don't have a mentor, you definitely should try to find one. Um, and of course, if you have one mentor, um, that does not mean that you can't have multiple. Uh, it just really depends on uh, what are you going through or what season of life. Um, I had a friend at one time that told me that, um, you know, mentors is kind of like your spice cabinet. So depending on what you're cooking, if you're cooking and you need uh, curry, uh, then you grab the curry. If you need salt, you grab the salt. If you need pepper, you get the pepper. If you need something where you need a combination of those, you grab all three of them at the same time. Uh, and so I would definitely say for those who are listening to this podcast, uh, if you don't have a mentor, uh, go out and try to find, find one. Um, it's really beneficial and definitely has helped me a lot in terms of how I perceive healthcare and how um, I view the world and where I want to move uh, moving forward. No, and I, I love that um, analogy. Mentors are like a spice cabinet because I, I can honestly say that I have folks um, that I'm connected with that I know, you know, I'm just in a trash talking mood or I need to get some stuff off my chest. <laughs> I call these people, but folks where I just know I need legit professional advice, I call the other group. So um, I like having right. a diverse group there. And um, and thank you for the shout out, uh, you know, that you share with me. But honestly, Tim, again, you, um, you're just that guy, man. Ever since we did first connect, and I think we did establish our relationship off of our, our Florida, South Florida backgrounds. Um, it was just, you know, you were a positive guy, you had a great energy. And I was just like, you know what, I like this guy. So um, it, it's been really easy to try to stay connected and offer my thoughts and try to keep you out of trouble uh, a little bit with the advice. That I give. <laughs> so perfect. But thank you for that. But um, Tim, next question I have for you is what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? I'll probably have to give a shout out to my parents for this one. Uh, it's pretty simple. And that is try everything uh, that you get an opportunity for. Uh, simple as that. Just try everything that you get an opportunity for because you don't really know if uh, this opportunity might be the next big thing for you or if it's just something that, you know, you weren't sure of in terms of if you like it or not. Uh, and so for me, that would be something that I try to look at every single day, which is if I get an opportunity to do it, let me just try it. If I don't like it, that's okay. Um, at least I got to try it. At least I know now that that's not for me. Wonderful. I, I love that advice from your parents there. Um, next question I have for you, Tim, is can you share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality initiatives? Yeah. Uh, so I, you kind of already uh, mentioned it earlier, Jarvis, and that is uh, going to the Gimba. Uh, that is probably my favorite uh, personal habit that I like to do just because, uh, you know, going to the Gimba means you really get to understand all levels of the organization uh, and you get to really also see how the frontline staff works. And it makes a really big difference, especially at the end of the day when, uh, you know, the frontline staff are the individuals who are uh, laying it out there every single day and uh, you're there to be able to root them on as, you know, the cheerleader or as their supporter. And so for me, that's a personal habit that I uh, make sure that I do for whatever project, wherever I'm working, which is I always want to go to the frontline staff and understand what are they doing? How are they feeling? So that I can um, use that information to kind of shape how do I work and how do I support them? All right. No, I love it. Um, I'm a huge fan of Gimba myself. So great advice there. Um, Tim, what is your go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on the work that you lead? Uh, I would probably say Slack or Skype. Uh, to be quite honest, usually if I can, I try not to uh, do anything through uh, web. I actually like to meet people, uh, you know, face-to-face, -face, especially when you do things like Gemba or you're just trying to do introductions. But uh, whenever that can't happen, uh, the next option that I like to use is probably Slack or Skype. Uh, one of those things where you can actually uh, video FaceTime people. 
All right. Wonderful. And I, I hope a lot of folks are getting into Slack. Um, I've actually just started picking up Microsoft Teams myself, which is, you know, okay. Slack. it's a knockoff Slack, but it's actually pretty decent too. Hey, so. it works. <laughs> yeah. As long as it works, it works. Absolutely. Um, next question for you, Tim, is can you please share with our quality people one professional society and one professional conference that you think would be a value add? Uh, definitely ACHC. That would be the professional society that I would recommend uh, just because there's so many resources to that. Uh, and also, again, if you don't have a mentor, they have uh, programs where you can uh, uh, sign up to find a mentor. Uh, and so that probably would be the professional society that I would recommend. But in terms of conferences, I would say, uh, you know, if you're in the Southeast, like Jarvis and I, uh, there's one conference called uh, Health Connect South. Uh, that's a really good one that is local in the Southeast uh, that I would definitely say you should, uh, you know, attend if you can. If not, there's another uh, national conference called HLTH. It's a fairly brand new conference, but uh, that one is going to be really big because it's trying to bring in individuals from not only uh, the payers and the provider side, but also medical devices, the federal government, and pharmaceuticals. So for folks who are interested in learning about the whole entire healthcare ecosystem, that would be probably my other very go-to conference that I would say you should attend. All right. Wonderful. And um, I'm actually intrigued. I just wrote down Health Connect as well. I have to go and search that one. I, I'm not familiar <laughs> with that myself. So thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, well, so it sounds like you just got a really big book or uh, box of books. But Tim, I would love if you could recommend one book to our quality people, but also share with us why you think it's worth recommending. So that book that I would recommend is called The History of Present Illness, and it's by Louisa Arison. And uh, she's actually a uh, doctor out in UCSF. And uh, essentially, the book is a really short, um, I would say, I think it was like 120 pages or something shorter than that. But basically, it's just 15 vignettes, so 15 small stories. And it focuses on just life within San Francisco of different uh, groups of individuals and some of the struggles that they go through day by day with either certain chronic illnesses or with certain sicknesses or what cultural competency, you know, some of these things that, you know, within healthcare we're all trying to address. And I would say definitely that would be a book uh, to read because it really – reminds you of why you're in healthcare. It really, um, for me, it really, uh, you know, inspired me to really want to be able to go out there and help people in ways that uh, we might not necessarily always think of, or just, you know, we just get bogged down with a lot of administrative work that we sometimes forget. Uh, we are in healthcare because we're trying to help the most poor, the most sick, the most, uh, you name it. And so definitely I would recommend that book, The History of Present of Illness. All right, wonderful. Again, um, you're teaching me a lot during our call tonight. Uh, not familiar with it, but I will personally be checking that one out. Um, <clears throat> Tim, our last question here is a personal favorite because now I'm gonna try and get you to reflect on your past while also getting you to look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past um, or if you have not been working a full 10 years yet, would still love you to kind of <laughs> make it work for me, man. But uh, would also want to get you to, to think through one text message if you had to send to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Man, this question is, uh, I guess this is a personal favorite for a lot of folks. It's kind of hard. Um, I mean, of course, I haven't... <laughs> been working uh, for 10 years, but I'll probably say that uh, if there was a text message I would send back to myself, it'd probably be something along the lines of, uh, you know, don't be too afraid to kind of be sing singled out for something that you believe is right. Um, just because I guess, uh, you know, being pretty young, uh, a lot of times it's a little, you know, it could be a little nerve wracking to know that you're the youngest individual in the room and, uh, you know, what you say and um, how you act and uh, your thoughts and stuff like that can uh, mean a lot to a lot of other people. And I would say definitely if I could have gone back, I would have probably told that to myself a little bit more in terms of just 
don't doubt yourself too much. And it's okay to be young um, because obviously you need a mixture of both young and old in order to uh, get anything done. So that would probably be what I would say um, I would have sent back to myself. But uh, in terms of the next 10 years, uh, I think that's a lot easier for me. It would be have fun and just uh, stay true to your roots. Uh, I think as I progress to become, uh, you know, a leader within healthcare and as I start to manage more individuals and do more stuff like that, um, I think a lot of times it's very easy for folks to just kind of lose sight of why or what is the purpose. Um, and so just remembering that and then just having fun with whatever you're doing uh, I think that would be what I would want to remind myself 10 years down in the future. Well, I, I love both points of feedback, but your second point there about just being true to your roots. Um, I I had a mentor uh, for me, I guess now right around eight or nine years ago, tell me, um, you know, Jarvis and everything you do, be true to yourself. So um, that came from a really mm -hmm. good friend and a mentor and, um, just to know that you're already in that mindset. Again, I think Tim speaks to just that exceptional, I think, talent that uh, I've just kind of sensed, you know, from our very early meetings. And I, I'm just, again, excited that um, I could call you a friend and a colleague. But I, again, get to sit back and kind of watch all the cool things that you're doing in your career path and the impact that you're going to have on the healthcare industry. But, um, Tim, we are right there at the end of our conversation. So I would love to end the conversation with you today with you giving our quality people just that parting piece of advice. Uh, maybe share the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media and then we'll officially sign off. Sure. Uh, and again, uh, thank you, Jarvis, for being a great host and for uh, you know all the things you've done in my life as a mentor. So before I uh, you know give my parting advice, just wanted to give you a little shout out. Um, but uh, in terms of my advice, I would just probably go back to what I said earlier, which was uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Uh, and in terms of just uh, where to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just type in my name, Timothy Lee, and you should be able to find me fairly easily. So uh, that would be all that I got. So appreciate it, Jarvis. All right. Perfect. Tim, I appreciate you again. And to all of our quality people out there everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis Gray signing off. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.